The 10 guys who uh, left for Belize were at the airport early this morning, and I'd like to lead us in prayer now for them. God, as they uh, travel, we pray for uh, connections, the right connections. We pray for safety. Lord, we pray even for these hours that you would prepare them for the culture, the dear people that they're going to meet in Belize. Lord, I pray, we pray for unity on the team. We pray for a cohesive uh, spirit as they work together for your glory and your honor. Lord, we pray for the work itself. We pray for protection while they're laboring. And Lord, we pray that they'd be able to finish what they hope to finish so that the students in July can come down and share the gospel in that place. Lord, now as we look to your word, thank you that you're alive and your word is alive. Uh, Lord, as we come underneath its authority today, would you encourage, would you exhort, would you challenge, would you rebuke? Uh, Most of all, would you equip us uh, so that we can live on mission, becoming more and more uh, like you want us to be? And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Hey, I suffer from aquaphobia. It's a fear of water, and I can trace it to four traumatic events. When I was around nine years old, my dad and I and his friends were out in the middle of Devil's Lake, aptly named, I might add. We were fishing for lake trout in the middle of the night. And I'm young, out in the middle of the lake, pitch dark, we have lanterns on the side of the boat, when it was time for us to go back to shore, I'll never forget, my dad reached down and he pulled the rope on the motor, and as he did, it started, but the motor fell off the back of the boat and just kind of went down into the lake. We were out in the middle of Devil's Lake, it's pitch dark out, and we had no oars, Oh, I should add, this was a homemade pontoon boat. And so my dad had old kitchen chairs screwed to the deck of the boat. He unscrewed the chairs, and we used those as oars. It seemed like it was going to take forever to get back to shore. When I was around 12 years old, my dad and I were in another boat. This was a small V-Hall boat on Lake Michigan, fishing for salmon when a storm suddenly came up. I spent most of the time leaning over the side of the boat, feeding the fish. (laughs) When I was around 15 years old, I was water skiing on Rock Lake in Wisconsin. My friend was driving the boat, and he had the great idea to see if he could knock me off my skis, so he's going wide open. He turned sharply, and sure enough, I fell, but so did he. He fell on his back on the boat, boat still wide open, doing one of these coming right toward me, and I'm like a bobber in the water watching this boat come toward me. And my sister, the last minute, grabbed the steering wheel and the boat missed me. But my most traumatic event with water happened when I was 18 years old. Some friends and I were tubing in the Rock River. The Rock River starts up in Wisconsin. And we were throwing tubes in the water below a power dam. And right in front of my eyes, my friend Tim drowned. It impacted me greatly. So to this day, I avoid water whenever I can. You'll be glad to know I still take showers, but (laughs) it, it doesn't take much for my water worry to come cascading like waves over me. 
fact, just reading our passage for today caused my heart rate to go up a bit. I invite you to take your Bibles and open them up to Acts chapter 27, because we're going to encounter a seafaring epic. It's filled with danger, suspense, raw fear as Paul sails from Caesarea to Rome. Now, because this passage is a bit long, it's 44 verses, we're going to take a different approach. I'm going to begin by reading the passage while providing a running commentary, and then I'll make some observations and then some application that we can apply to our lives, and then we're going to end by hearing from a person who's experienced God's providential care while going through many personal storms. And by the way, we have some guests with us today from the country of Ukraine, and they have been going through some storms. They have just arrived in the Quad Cities. Uh, We're going to learn more about them, hopefully next weekend. And so I'm going to ask our guests, Sasha and Sophia and Lucas and Emma to stand. And let's just give them a welcome, shall we? Welcome. Um, Thanks to the generosity of some people already, we were able to give them gift cards and a quilt. And church, let's do what we can to help them. So we don't know what all of their needs are yet, so here's what I'm going to suggest. If you feel prompted, just call the church office. Marie is ready to take your name, and then Marie will be connecting with them to see what their needs are, and we'll do what we can to help. Just an update, Sophia's parents live in Lviv, Um, and if you watched the news yesterday, Lviv, for the first time other than near the airport a couple weeks ago, was bombed. And um, so she's obviously very concerned about her parents. Her dad is a pastor, and they've chosen to stay in Lviv and minister uh, to people there. Well, here's what I'm hoping we learn today. In the storms of life, make sure you have an anchor for your soul. Now, I'm going to invite you to follow along in your Bible today or use the Bible in front of you. Most of the weeks, we put the scripture up on the screen. It's not going to be up there today. And so I want you to see God's word for yourself. There are Bibles in front of you. If you don't have one, or feel free to use your mobile device because we're going to walk through this narrative We're going to put a map up on the screen instead. So let's look now at Acts chapter 27, verse 1. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. The use of the word we here shows that Dr. Luke has been reunited with Paul. The other prisoners with Paul are likely headed to Rome where they will become prey for wild animals in a gladiator match. Julius is a high-ranking military officer. He's in charge of Paul. Verse 2, and embarking in a ship of Andromedium, 
which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. So this is a small coasting vessel, not a large ship, maybe a little bit like the Channel Cat. Well, actually, it's much bigger than that. And Aristarchus was one of Paul's companions that hung out with Paul way back in Macedonia. He's allowed to accompany them as well. Let's pick it up, verse Three. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. So let's get a little perspective. Bottom right here is Jerusalem. Right up from there is Caesarea. That's where they take off from. Now they stop in Sidon, just to the north in that part of Syria. Would you note that Julius was kind to Paul. Paul's a prisoner. He's allowing Paul to get some TLC. Remember, he's been in prison for two years in Caesarea. So Paul seeks out his friends. We've made this point before that Paul ached for Christian fellowship. He went out of his way to be with believers, much like all of you did today when you chose to gather with God's people here. By the way, it's great to see so many making an effort to gather in person again. Uh, God brought over 800 people to Edgewood last weekend, which is close to our pre-COVID attendance. Now, verse four, and putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. So they got on the other side of the island where it was less windy. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. So now they leave the smaller ship, they go on a bigger ship. Uh, They can get everyone on board. Alexandria down here in Egypt is a city in Egypt which was known for growing wheat. There's a ship out of Alexandria filled with wheat on its way to Italy, and Paul and his team jump on that ship. We sailed slowly. Notice what's happening here. Things are changing for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Sinaitis. And as the wind did not allow us to go farther, we sailed under the lee of Crete off Salmon, coasting along it with difficulty. Notice the two uses of the word difficulty. We came to a place called Fair Havens, which was near the city of Lycia. This was not a three-hour tour from a tropic port. Come on, that was a reference to Gilligan's Island, okay? (laughs) No, I'm not going to sing it for you. Verse 9, so much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over. Paul advised them saying, sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury. This is Paul saying this, and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. So to help us understand, the word fast there is referring to the Day of Atonement. It's helping us see what, where this takes place on the calendar. Day of Atonement that year was in the month of October. So now this is not a good time to be on the Mediterranean because winter is coming. Paul perceived through experience, through observation, and he's like, this is not a good time. Storms could spring up suddenly. 2 Corinthians 11.25 tells us that Paul had survived 
three storms, and he had spent a night and a day out on the open sea. Let's pick up verse 11. The centurion, you didn't listen to Paul, paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. So the centurion, the guy in charge, the military officer, decided to listen to the professional sailors instead of Paul, and would you note, he trusted in chance to reach safe harbor. Verse 13, now when the south wind blew gently, supposing they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor, they sailed along Crete close to the shore. Now, at this point, they're all probably thinking this was the right decision. The breeze is gentle. The sea, calm, at least at first. Look at verse 14. But soon, a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land, and when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it. We're driven along. So while they're coasting along the coast of Crete, a hurricane-force storm came out of nowhere. We get the word typhoon from the Greek word here. And the phrase, the ship was caught, meant it was grasped like a predator clutching its prey. These seasoned sailors couldn't do anything, and so they just gave up. So now the ship is just being driven by the wind. Verse 16, running under the lee of a small island called Cauda, we managed with, there's the word difficulty again, to secure the ship's boat. The boat was like a small dinghy which was towed behind the ship. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. So ships were made out of wood. The wood wasn't really fastened well together. So they hoist the ship. They put cables around the the front of it in order to keep the water from seeping in. And then fearing they would run aground on the Sirtis, they lowered the gear and thus they were driven along. The Sirtis was a sandbar filled with quicksand. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. The word violently means vehemently. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. Much like my dad did, I wonder if they were unfastening the kitchen chairs. Any furniture on deck, they threw it overboard to lighten the ship. Verse 20, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Any of you there today? There's people in the Ukraine there today. And perhaps you've been there. Maybe that's where you're at today. Now, These sailors didn't have GPS. The compass wouldn't be invented for uh, maybe another thousand years. So how do they navigate? Well, they count on the sun during the day and the stars at night to navigate. But they can't see the sun. They can't see the stars. They're totally lost, devoid of all hope. They're disoriented. They're discouraged. They're filled with despair. Verse 21, since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, men, you should have listened to me. Paul can't resist a little, I told you so here. 
And you should not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. And I'm sure these guys, when they heard that, are like, yeah, right. Paul called the men to courage. He told them, no one will die. Verse 23, for this very night, he explains why, there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. So in the midst of great alarm, God sent an angel to Paul. Would you note how Paul gave testimony, public testimony, about who he belonged to and who he worshipped. And because God owned him, he couldn't help but worship him. Paul clearly connected courage to having faith in God. Verse 27, when the 14th night had come, as we're being driven across the Adriatic Sea about midnight, the sailors suspected they were nearing land. So at this point, they are about 500 miles off course. They're beginning to near land, get near land. Well, how do they know that? Well, it doesn't tell us for sure, but my guess is they're now starting to hear the waves hitting the rocks on the shore. Then we read verse 28, they took a sounding, they found 20 fathoms. A little further on, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. So what they did is they let a line out to see how deep it was. First time they did that, it was 120 feet. Next time they did it, it was 90 feet. So they're like, hey, we're nearing shore. That explains verse 29. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, now they're like, they let down four anchors from the stern and they prayed. By the way, this is the first time we see that they prayed in this chapter. They prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. So here's what's going on. The sailors want to abandon ship. The guys who know how to run the ship, they want to get in that dinghy and get out of there. But we see Paul's leadership here. Make sure the ropes to the small boat are cut. There's now no turning back. They're all literally in the same boat now. Verse 33, as day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, today is the 14th day. Can you imagine not eating for 14 days? That you have continued in suspense. They're all churned up on the inside like the waves are on the outside. Without food, you've taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you, take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. Because they're so terrified, they'd been running on adrenaline and fear. They hadn't eaten for two weeks. And Paul makes this promise. He's like, not a hair on your head is going to be, gonna, gonna, you're not going to miss any of that. You're not, not going to perish. You're going to be saved without a scratch on your bodies. Verse 35, and when he had said these things, he took bread And giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and he began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and they ate food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. 
And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Oh, this is reminiscent of the Lord's Supper. Paul gives thanks to God for all to hear. And when everyone was satisfied and strengthened, they threw all the wheat into the sea. Verse 39, when it was day, they did not recognize the land. They're like, we don't know where we are. But they noticed a bay, there's a beach, on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors, they left the anchors in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders, then hoisting the foresail to the wind they made for the beach. Their plan is just to beach the ship. But verse 41, but striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground, the bow stuck and remained immovable, the stern was being broken up by the surf, the soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners lest any should swim away and escape. Remember, in Roman law, if you're a Roman soldier, you're in charge of a prisoner. That prisoner escapes, you lose your life. Verse 43, the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. They're just holding on to whatever they can find. And so it was that, notice, all were brought safely to land. As promised, everyone was saved. Friends, in the storms of life, make sure you have an anchor for your soul. I came across a quote this week. Elliot Clark said this, Western theology tends to ask why God allows suffering more than how he uses it. Well, let's consider now some ways that God uses suffering. And let me just give you a heads up. I'm going to go through this very quickly. You won't even be able to take notes. That's how quickly we're going to go through this. But knowing that some of you are going to want copies of that, we printed out a sheet called The Storm Before the Calm, and it's out on the resource table right out there. You can pick that up. If you get the sermon manuscript, we email that out every Wednesday or every Friday afternoon. If you want to get on that, that's a good thing to do. That's all, this will also be available on the app and the website. So here then are some lessons, some observations. Number one, storms come to everyone eventually. Number two, often we don't know why storms come. Number three, storms often last longer than we'd like them to. Number four, we are not necessarily out of God's will when caught in a storm. Number five, God works through storms to accomplish his purposes. Number six, storms give us opportunities to serve and to witness. Number seven, storms cause us to get rid of excess baggage. Number eight, God loves to bring true hope. When? But when we're totally helpless. Number nine, what appears to be the easy way may end in disaster. Related to that, calm seas can fool us into believing storms will not come. Number 11, God makes a way when we submit to His ways. Number 12, sometimes God calms the storm around us, and other times He calms the storm within us. Some of you are thinking about a song there. 
Number 13, stay connected to others and don't jump ship. (laughs) Number 14, majority opinion is not always right. Number 15, difficult and dark times can slow us down, but God is always at work. Number 16, storms reveal what's inside us. It often isn't pretty. Number 17, our response to a storm can lead to damaging bitterness or deeper belief. It's been my observation in over 30 years of serving as a pastor that two individuals going through very similar situations and circumstances, one is filled with bitterness and anger toward God and that bitterness has infected and impacted those around them. The other individual has become more humble and more softened by the experience and their faith has become deeper as well. Number 18, storms help us settle who we belong to and who we worship. Number 19, storms reposition us. We find ourselves in a different place to live out God's purposes. And number 20, when going through a storm, make sure Jesus is the captain of your ship. I think of how God is using our Go Team partners, Paul and Carlene Eager. They serve in Poland And they've retrofitted one of their church buildings to house 28 women and children from Ukraine. I love how they refer to these refugees as their guests. This is what Paul wrote in a recent update. I think we can all agree that the last couple years have been so full of change and turmoil. It's been difficult to plan properly and get settled into a rhythm because tomorrow things may change. Even though we can feel unsettled, we do know that God is in control of the past of today and our tomorrows. Let me bring it to where we're living. My guess is you're going through a storm right now. And if you're not, just wait. You will be. Someone said it like this, you've either come out of a storm, you're in one now, or you're about to experience rough waters. Here's a question. Is Jesus the captain of your ship? See, in the storms of life, make sure you have an anchor for your soul. I see six anchors we can hold on to from verses 22 to 26. These are also on the sheet. God's promise, God's presence, God's peace, God's plan, God's protection, and God's providence. It's clear that God intentionally intervenes in our lives, and he often uses storms to get our attention. Allow me to just list in bullet form the ways God did that in Amy's life. He provided the opportunity for a little girl in a Buddhist community to hear about Jesus Christ through a missionary who showed the Jesus film. He provided a way out of the refugee camp where she lived for 15 years and had never left the camp. He allowed for a Christian teenager to befriend her. He purposed for a Burmese pastor to explain the gospel and lead her to faith in Jesus Christ. In his sovereignty, he led her to a childhood friend in Moline 
840 miles from where she was living in Colorado. And in her despair, God led her to pregnancy resources where she got an ultrasound to see her baby. God provided just the right street counselor in a Chicago suburb to speak up for life. And Beth and Amy drove to Chicago on Friday and they met with this woman to thank her for what she did and she got to see baby Aurora. There's some more details related to that. When Amy went to the abortion clinic, there were parking spaces in front of the clinic Amy said for some reason she didn't go to those spaces. She drove around the back of the building where the lady was with the sign. She would have missed that person and she parked in another place. I also think of this woman. It was a cold and windy November day and she was outside. This woman told Amy that she would help her in any way she could. She told Amy to follow her. If you've been in the Chicago area, they were on 355. Um, Amy doesn't like driving on highways. The woman ran out of gas, had to pull off to a gas station. She ended up introducing her to another woman um, from a pregnancy center. God used a translator to provide a copy of Anchor for the Soul in Burmese. He sent it the week before Amy came to Edgewood. God used Pastor Dan to give her a Burmese Bible. At just the right moment, God gave her hope and courage to choose life for her baby, Aurora. Then he sent her back to PR where she found loving people to support her and help her grow in a relationship with Christ. He helped her feel strong enough to go back home, get a new job. So get this, Amy works a full-time job. She works a half-time job. She goes to school and she's working on her citizenship, and she's a mother, a fantastic mother. And Amy flew back here to the Quad Cities on Thursday to share her story. I love the ministries here in the Quad Cities and the joy we have to partner with what God is doing in and through them. At PR, they try to love each one to offer hope to each one, and to share Christ with each one. And sometimes they actually reach two. As a way to um, put into practice what we've been learning today from God's Word and what you've been hearing and learning as you've met a Ukrainian family, if you've heard now from Amy. We're making the Anchor for the Soul books available free of charge, as we do every week, but we have them out on a table, and I want to encourage you to pick one up. Perhaps you've already read it, and you're like, oh, I've already read it. Well, maybe take one, put it in your glove compartment, keep it somewhere at home, and be praying about who you can give it to. We have Spanish and English versions. By the way, the author, Ray Pritchard, um, has just agreed to preach here at Edgewood the third weekend in September, that's September 16th and 17th, as part of a prophecy weekend. And we've also received confirmation from Dr. Radalnik, who teaches in Jewish studies at Moody Bible Institute and the host of Open Line on Moody Radio. We'll be letting you mo- know more information there.
I contacted Ray this week because I remembered a sermon he had preached on Hebrews chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Here's the passage. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. See, most of us think of an anchor that goes down to the bottom of the ocean, but friends, we have an anchor that goes up to heaven. Our anchor rests in the holy of holies behind the curtain in the very presence of God himself. And the word forerunner described a smaller boat that went on ahead of a large ship to guide it into the harbor. It carried the ship's anchor. It would lower the anchor so the ship would be safe during the storm. And after the storm, the large ship would safely enter the harbor. Listen, if you know Jesus Christ, Jesus will lead you home to heaven. And if you are born again, you couldn't be safer than you already are because you are already anchored in heaven. Jesus went ahead of us into heaven and, when he, and then he became the anchor for our soul. We're connected to Jesus Christ in heaven. We're as safe as Jesus is safe. That's why our hope is called firm. That word means never failing. Our anchor will never fail. Our anchor will never slip. Our anchor will never give way. Our anchor holds because it rests on Jesus in heaven. Friends, in the storms of life, make sure you have an anchor for your soul. Would you stand? God, we've heard a lot today, and Lord, we don't want to be a people that just file it away. Lord, we want to be a people who learn, and we really haven't learned until we live it. So would you now take what you have taught us today and drive it deep into our souls. Help us to speak differently, live differently, give differently, behave differently, all for your glory and your honor, because, Lord, you now send us out to a lost and hurting world. Lord, for anyone who's not yet put their faith and trust in Christ, Lord, may they today repent of their sins, turn and receive you, the anchor for their souls, asking you to save them from their sins, for you have died, you've been raised again on the third day, you ascended into heaven, and you are seated at the right hand of God the Father, and you are coming again. Lord, use us now the rest of this day for your purposes, and we pray in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen, amen. Have a good rest of the day.